Hello and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Kristen Davis from Dairy Australia. This episode is the first in a series focusing on dry seasonal conditions and its related challenges. Hear from Dairy Australia's development lead, feed base and nutrition, Dr. Josie Garner, and farm business performance lead, Neil Webster, as they highlight the importance of feed budgeting, interpreting feed test reports, and why it's important to buy feed tested fodder. The discussion also provides guidance on how to use Dairy Australia's hay reports to make informed fodder purchase decisions and the support services available for dairy farmers. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Dairy Pod. I am Dr Josie Garner and it's been almost 20 years since I was a teenager putting cups on cows in the Bega Valley. So I've worked in a few various roles in the dairy industry over that time. But my current role at Dairy Australia is Development and Regional Adaptation Lead in the Feed Base and Nutrition Portfolio. So basically, my role is to develop extension programs and resources and incorporate new science findings coming out of research into programs that Dairy Australia and the regional offices deliver to our dairy farmers. My career background has been in dairy scientific research where I've worked on the Dairy Feed Base Research Program, focusing mainly on the areas of ruminant nutrition and genomics. I'm also a dairy farmer based out of West Gippsland, where we breed registered Holsteins. So we double in um, breeding and we really like using genomics as part of our business. So today I'm joined by Neil Webster. So, Neil, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, hi, Josie, and hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Neil Webster. I'm the Farm Performance Lead with Dairy Australia, and I've been in the industry for over 20 years now uh, in a range of roles, um, commercial roles and also industry roles. And I've been with DA for 11 years, and uh, in that time I've been working across extension and the farm business program, but also more recently our farm, our plan, and also response efforts as we've rolled them out, uh, tactics for tight times, for example, but also the feed shortage response in 2018-19 and taking stock, which we roll out from time to time when we need to provide one-to-one support for farmers. Thanks, Neil. So in today's episode of Dairy Pod, we're going to be talking about some of the key steps that we can take to prepare for dry seasonal conditions. So we're going to be covering a few topics, including a summary of where we're currently at, how the situation and season is looking um, over the next few months. We're also going to be talking about what are some of the key things we can be doing now to plan for that around feed budgeting and utilising the hay and grain market reports to make decisions. We're also going to talk a little bit about the importance of feed testing and knowing how to interpret those reports when we're making decisions around buying fodder. And also just a reminder of some of the key things we've got to think about when purchasing fodder. So as we know, the Bureau of Meteorology has recently made the official declaration of El Nino in conjunction with a positive Indian dipole weather event. So if you want to know more about the science behind these measurements, there's a really great information on the BOM website. But basically, this announcement confirms what is already being felt in some regions, drier and hotter conditions with reduced 
rainfall forecast across the country. So the Bureau has indicated the current forecast period is until autumn 2024, but we know that El Nino events can last up to nine months and beyond. So this is why it's really important to plan and be prepared for an increased reliance on purchase feed and a potential reduced availability of feed in some regions. So farmers across the majority of New South Wales and Queensland have already been experiencing dry conditions for many months now, and they are no stranger to dry conditions and drought. So Neil, Based on your experience responding to the last significant dry season event, how does the industry situation today differ from back in 2018? Yeah, I think with dry seasonal conditions unfold across the country in different ways, Josie, and definitely at different times, which is exactly what we're seeing now. And and what that means is one size doesn't fit all in terms of uh, information provided and, and advice that might be given, especially around the timing of decisions, uh, which is where the differences really come into play. I think 2018 was a, a, a deep drought that came on the back of a couple of years with relatively poor autumns in particular in a lot of regions. And it was very widespread. Uh, it really went right down the eastern seaboard of Australia and most agricultural industries were impacted. So dairy absolutely impacted, but so was cropping, uh, beef, sheep, sheep and the fodder industry was was impacted significantly too. And I think the settings were a bit different. Often we talk about the settings, what are they? And they vary by region, but back then, pretty much across the country, water storages and water allocations were low for irrigators in most parts of the country. The grain and fodder prices were very high and, and driven by the drought. Beyond price, fodder availability was actually low and it became hard to source the further on the drought went. And that, that was really challenging. And I think we've got to remember back then, the average milk price in 2017-18 was just under $6 a kilo milk solids as an average in the southern regions and, and just under $0.60 cents a litre uh, further north. So in short, the options were limited and making it work was really challenging for farmers. So what are some of the perhaps differences about the current situation that are more positive for farmers currently compared to the last time around? I think dry seasons bring challenges around growing as much feed as you can and and accessing the bought-in feed that you need and handling the expected lifting prices for feed, which typically happens throughout a drought as feed becomes less available. Uh, Classic supply-demand scenario there. But what we've seen in the past is, is what we call the decision intensity goes up and early decisions make a difference. So dry conditions can add a few more layers of hard decisions on top of what farmers are making anyway. And and farmers are making lots of decisions on any given day and any given week. What we do see is those farmers who are better planned and, and prepared make the decisions that are needed earlier and probably do that more consistently. Um, I think part of what we've got to remember here too is that in the current situation, we've got some higher input costs. Like I know we've had a higher milk price for a few years now, but the input costs have gone up as well. So power, energy, fuel, labour, um, and farmers are really aware of that. And I think also uh, we've had three La Ninas, which have you know delivered pretty good seasons, but throughout that we've had some really significant flood events. So northern New South Wales into Queensland and northern Victoria and South Australia uh, more recently, last last spring. So 
farmers there have been significantly impacted. I know the floods in spring in northern Victoria and South Australia last year really limited the opportunity for, for, for conserving fodder, as did the wet conditions generally across southern Australia. Uh, so farmers have been relying on bought-in feed for some time in some parts of the country. And it comes at a generally uh, a bit of a higher price tag with uh, the things like the cost of freight have gone up. So, you know, it, it's it's a it's different all over the place, as we know, but it hasn't been smooth sailing. So we're not coming in. We've had three good years, I reckon, Josie, but we're not coming into it with everyone having had a, a good clear run of it last spring. And so that will have some impact on, on what farmers, in terms of the feed on hand that farmers have. Yeah, and I guess another curveball is the recent steep decline in cattle market prices that we've seen. So what we're currently seeing now is a market that's already at drought prices, which I guess is another difference compared to the last dry weather event. So this is kind of a flow on effect from significant destocking that's occurring throughout New South Wales and Queensland. And what's been another perhaps unexpected challenge for farmers in those regions is there's been significant wait times of between four to six weeks to actually get cattle into meat processes. So this is throwing a bit of a spanner in the works and it comes to early destocking strategies and we're possibly seeing some farmers holding onto stock maybe longer than they'd like to, which is putting more pressure on their feed, their feed reserves. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? And and certainly, you know, this is where the, the situation across the country is so different and, and further north into New South Wales and Queensland, that, that's what's happening. So um, it's a real thing. And yeah, definitely, I, I think the cattle prices have been part of what's really um, contributed to profitable dairy farms in the last few years. So it, it is a definitely a change and one that's got to be considered. Absolutely. So also, when it comes to planning for dry conditions, what do you think is the first step that farmers are doing in creating a plan? I think planning for dry conditions is like planning for anything. And, and part of what we do now is work with farmers to apply a really simple now, where, how approach to planning. Uh, and we find it really helps. So it's thinking about what's our current situation now and where is it we, we want to be and how are we going to get to there? And so sometimes we talk with farmers in terms of, you know, there's a long time frame on that, but other times the time frame's quite short. So applying the now, where, how approach to, to what's required to manage through summer, for example, is a, is a good way to think it through. Um, and we always talk about focusing on the things you can control and spend less time thinking about the things you can't control. For example, none of us can control the weather, right? But we can control staying across forecasts and factoring them in. We can also control what's needed in terms of the feed for our herd. And, and, and doing what's needed to grow and secure feed to, to meet their requirements. And I think the other thing we emphasise always is plans will evolve as the conditions unfold. Even in, in the southern parts of Australia, we had a, we did have a dry early spring and the, and the forecast was for drier conditions. And then we got a, a, an amazing rain event uh, three weeks ago that really helped the cropping areas and, and dairy country as well. That didn't go up into northern New South Wales or Queensland, of course, but it, it means the conditions unfold. And we've got to be able to update our plans. And, and I think what we're seeing at the moment is 
farmers are actually revisiting their feed budgets for the year based on what they're seeing now and reassessing their needs. And that's that's so important. Uh, they can then make the next decision about what they require to, to secure the feed they need. And I think one way to think about it too is think about what are the hard things in front of you um, and how many of them are there at any given point in time. And doing that can help you chunk them out. And, and there's the old saying about, you know, eat the elephant one bite at, one bite at a time. Um, don't try and eat it in one go. And sometimes that just helps process things and kind of make the decisions around particular things at, at any given point in time. But just, and the other thing we, we think is really important is talk to the other people in your, your farm business about that. So who are the other key decision makers? And in many cases, they're family members or, or partners, um, but it might be a bigger business and with equity partners, whoever the decision makers are, talk it through with them and, and start to have the conversations about, okay, here's where we are. Here's what we've got to do to get through and manage through summer and, and start to even turn our minds towards autumn. Not, we're not too far away from that. So when it comes to feed budgeting, if you haven't done a feed budget before, it's a simple way to determine the quantities of homegrown and brought in feed you're going to require for the milk production requirements. Then also to meet the nutritional requirements of your milking herd, as well as the other classes of stock, such as your dry cows and, and young animals. So a feed budget is a way to help you estimate your feed deficit or your feed shortfall and help you make informed decisions around how much feed you need and what quality feed you need to purchase to fill this deficit. So Dairy Australia has tools available to help you generate your own feed budget. They are simple and a lot of the background data has already been built into these. So you only have to enter the data that's relevant to your farm. So when you go to calculate your feed demand, there are a few important things to consider before you begin the process. So first is, it seems obvious, but you need an accurate head count of all your stock. So I know some farmers have that number in their head and they can rely on it accurately, but it does make a difference to go in and check your herd management software and get those numbers accurate, including all your young stock and dry cows. Second is the assumptions that you make around the energy requirements of your different classes of stock for their maintenance, production and growth, they have to be realistic. So this if you underestimate or overestimate the energy requirements, you can have big deficits or surplus in the total number of the feed that you calculate at the end. So there are tables in the feed budgeting fact sheet that actually help you in determining these numbers. So you don't have to figure it out on your own. It's also important to know as best as you can, the amount of conserved fodder that's stored on your farm. So it's easy if you have bales, you can just go around and count the number of bales and you've got an estimated bale weight and dry matter. But if you've got pit silage, that can be a bit more difficult. So if you're unsure, ask your advisor to help you calculate that. Another thing to remember is to allow for appropriate feed wastage. And this could be something that's often grossly underestimated. So this is going to depend significantly on your feed out method. So for example, if you're feeding out your hay in a bare paddock over pasture, then you can waste up to 25 to 30% of that feed. 
in contrast, if you're feeding out in a permanent um, feed pad, for example, you may only have about 5% wastage. So this can make a huge difference in the amount of feed you actually need if you're not taking into account those feed wastage percentages accurately. And once you do have a feed budget in place, it's one of these things that it's important to regularly review because your situation can change rapidly based on stock numbers or based on other um, situations that can change on your farm. It's important to continually review this. So Dairy Australia has two feed budgeting tools. We have a simple back of the envelope feed budgeting tool. And this is going to give you some numbers around total tonnage of dry matter. So this isn't taking into account differences in the nutrient requirements of your animals. So it's total tonnage. If you're just interested in being able to supply dry matter to your herd and just want to get one simple number to source, then this is your tool to use. If you want more detailed information around what particular types of feed to source with what nutritional characteristics, then I'd recommend using the Excel-based feed budgeting tool, which actually helps you break down based on what classes of stock you have and then what feeds you need to source with what nutritional components to meet the nutritional requirements of your milkers, your dry cows and your young stock. Yeah, so both these tools are freely available to download off the Dairy Australia website. So if you Google back of the envelope feed budgeting tool Dairy Australia or feed budgeting tool Dairy Australia, it will bring up both of these tools. And if you need help with completing them, you can contact your regional extension team. So Neil, if farmers want to purchase fodder now, what's the hay situation looking like currently? Yeah, it's a moving thing, isn't it, Jacey? But we, we got a really good overview back in September on the Situation and Outlook episode of the Dairy Pod, um, where we get a person from the hay industry describing what's going on. Pretty much back then, we were seeing last year's haystocks being cleaned out, with the majority being of pretty low quality and still generally well, what he thought was overpriced. There's some new season cereal hay and canola hay and fetch hitting the market, which are still being priced at last year's prices or higher in some cases. So the quality is likely to be better this season compared to last year due to the growing conditions. However, what we're seeing is this early harvest is quickly being snapped up due to the demand from north further north. Uh, the prices may come back a little as we progress further in the harvest um, and, and possibly see a rapid price increase after Christmas, depending on the conditions. But this is the time to make decisions around the position you want to take around feed purchasing and start to understand what's available and, and how much it's likely to cost. Uh, and, and things do change so much. Like we have had a dry the normal uh, lead into spring in most parts of Australia, but certainly those southeastern parts we mentioned before, there was a significant rain event two to three weeks ago um, that that was a really good rain event that will make a difference. Um, so we're going to get an update on the, uh, the hay and fodder situation in the coming weeks, which will be terrific to kind of get a better sense about where things are at now. So Neil, are there any other tools that farmers can use when it comes to making informed decisions around purchasing fodder? Yeah, I mean, Dairy Australia's got a really good report that the hay and grain reports are, are freely available and provided online and, and also published in some papers. They can be really useful when making decisions around 
buying fodder and, and preparing for that feed that you might require. The prices in the report are independently verified. So as the dry season approaches, it is important to be, be on the front foot when making decisions around purchase feed. Contact the people who you would normally source feed from, talk about price, talk about availability, and, and, and secure what you need as soon as you can at a, at a price that you're comfortable with. Uh, waiting to see how the season progresses can work, but it could also result in purchasing into a market that's that's higher again. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but this is where risk management becomes part of the thinking. Maybe secure a, a proportion of your feed, let's call it half um, now, and, and then um, keep your options open in terms of further feed requirements as the season progresses. But th this comes down to what you're comfortable with in terms of your own risk management for your, for your business. Um, keep in touch with those hay reports to monitor the prices and, and keep in touch with uh, the media who will have information coming through. But also stay in touch with what Dairy Australia is going to provide um, as the season progresses as well. We'll be giving insights and, and updates on how the season's progressing, including fodder markets and fodder availability. And I think once you've completed your feed budget, securing that feed that, that meets the gaps that you've got um, is important. So yes, all, all the things that we've said come into play. Know what you need, be on the front foot. And I think that's going to uh, feed into that next bit of the conversation, Josie, around feed quality being a really important part of the consideration here. It's not just about how many tonnes you buy, it's about what the quality of that hay and that feed coming in is. And so I think that's the next thing I'd like to understand better too. So if farmers have decided when to purchase fodder, what else do they need to consider before making a decision, Josie? So as you've mentioned, one of the most important elements to buying in fodder is to actually know what the quality of the product is. So before you commit to a purchase, a feed test should be readily available. And if it's not, you can request that it's feed tested before you purchase. And the main reason is quality it's the main driver of milk production and animal performance so we need to be able to measure feed quality to optimize the diet to meet your milk production targets there's huge variation in nutritional composition of a feed type you know even within the same product or even within the same load of hay so having a feed test allows you to know you know, with a pretty good level of accuracy, what the quality you're buying in and then subsequently feeding out to your herd. So there are, when you're interpreting a feed test report, there's going to be a whole heap of numbers on there, but most of them are only really relevant if you're um, a RoomNet nutritionist, but there's three key elements that we want people to be aware of that gives you a pretty good overall estimation of the quality of the product. So the first one is metabolizable energy. So this will be expressed as ME or megajoules of metabolizable energy. So it'll be expressed as MJME on your feed test report. So this is basically an overall estimation of the energy available to the animal for production, maintenance, and growth. So generally, the higher the metabolizable energy, the higher the production capacity of the feed. So we want to be aiming for higher levels of metabolizable energy when you're comparing different feed types to purchase. The second element 
is crude protein. And this will be expressed as a crude protein percentage. So it'll be CP percent. This is an essential nutrient for production, maintenance and growth of the animal. We definitely do not want to be skimping on protein in the animal's diet. And it's also important to consider that protein and energy are in balance in the diet. Because we know that if there is an excess of protein in a ruminant's diet, that can actually have detrimental production um, cost to the animal as it actually takes energy away from the animal to then excrete that protein. So just something to be aware of. And thirdly, it's the structural carbohydrate component of the feed. So the fiber. There's a couple of different elements when we're thinking about fiber, but the most important one to be aware of is neutral detergent fiber. And this is abbreviated as NDF, and it's presented as a percentage. So it'll be NDF percent on your feed test report. So basically what this is, it's a measure of the overall bulk of the, for the forage. It's also a key driver of dry matter intake as it actually takes up physical space in the rumen and fills them up. So generally, the lower the NDF percentage, the higher the quality, because this allows the animal to rapidly digest and absorb those nutrients. And it also can increase their capacity to actually consume a larger amount of that fodder. A second component of the fiber to be aware of is acid detergent fiber or ADF percentage. So this is a estimation of the least digestible component of the plant. So basically it's completely unusable to the animal in terms of um, nutrients. It just provides a physical component of the digestion, digestion of a ruminant. So usually the lower the ADF, the uh, more digestible the feed is. So Josie, there's going to be a lot of information around about um, those components. Um, but really quickly, what, what are the values for those different uh, components of nutrition for the animal um, should, should we be looking for in feeds? Yeah, and this is a good question because it entirely depends on the feed type. So... For example, if I'm looking at a cereal hay, if it has a crude protein of approximately 12%, then that would be considered excellent. But if I've got a 12% crude protein for a legume hay, then that would be considered poor quality. So if you're unsure of what to expect from the feed test reports or how to interpret them, it's a good idea to check them with a trusted nutritionist to um, make sure that you're understanding the feed test reports so you know what you're buying. When buying hay, it's better to have an idea of what target specs to look for. So this is where your feed budgeting tool comes in really handy because you get an idea of the actual quantity you need, but also some target specs of what nutrition characteristics you're actually aiming for. So for example, for my milk production targets, I want to purchase a cereal hay that's approximately 55% NDF, but no higher than 58%. Because if I creep up above 58%, this is going to have some penalties on intake and potentially production. I'd also be aiming for a crude protein of approximately 8 to 10% and a metabolizable energy of at least 10 megajoules of ME. 
But in contrast, if I was going to be purchasing cereal hay for my dry cows, I'd be looking at a hay with an NDF between 58 and 62%. As maximizing intake is not the goal for dry cows, we just want to be maintaining them for the remainder of their pregnancy. Crude protein, we can also get away with it being a little lower for dry cows. This could be between 7 and 10%, and the ME can be around 9 That's perfectly acceptable for our springing cows. So you don't have to purchase in all your hay at milk quality. You can specifically target fodder types with different nutritional characteristics depending on what the target class of animals are you're going to feed it to. Another great example of, you know, a common fodder for dairy cows is vetch. It's got generally high production capacity due to its high crude protein content. So if you're purchasing vetch, you want to be looking at an NDF of approximately 35%. You can get vetch even lower than that of in fiber, but no higher than 38% would be kind of the target range in fiber. They also have quite a large variation in crude protein with vetch, depending on the, the conditions under which it was harvested. But you can expect to get something within the range of 16 to 24% crude protein. Also, an ME of around 10, you want to be aiming for probably no lower than that. Similarly, for lucerne hay, these numbers are going to be quite similar if you're purchasing a lucerne hay. Yeah, feed tests can be really valuable. Um, and I know one of the challenges back in 2018-19 was there, there was some feed being offered without a test. Not a lot, but sometimes, and, and it was pretty much on a take it or leave it basis, which was really challenging for people who were, you know, very, you know, keen to get fodder and needed to. Um, so there's a few other considerations. Josie, tell me, would you purchase silage? Yeah, Neil, it's something I'd be pretty wary of is purchasing silage. And this is because we generally, at the time of purchase, have no knowledge over the fermentation conditions of that silage product. So how silage is harvested, at what dry matter percentage it was actually baled can have a big influence on the fermentation of that product and its subsequent quality. So I'd be wary of purchasing silage unless you know exactly how it was harvested and stored. Another thing to be wary of when purchasing feeds that have a high moisture content is you've actually got to pay for the cost to freight that water to your property. So it becomes very expensive. So a way to kind of visualize that and compare feed types is to do your calculations at a cost per ton of dry matter. So generally the cost that you get quoted for a fodder type is priced out at a cost per ton of wet weight. So the as fed amount, you'd feed it out to your animals. So, you know, farmers know how to do this already, but for those of you that don't know how to do calculating a cost per ton to a cost per ton of dry matter, um, I'm just going to give a couple of examples. So you can tune out for a minute if you already know how to do this. So it's a really simple equation. So basically you just divide the cost per ton by the cost by the dry matter percentage as a decimal. So I'm going to give you an example. So if I have hay that's costing $400 a ton 
and it's at a 90% dry matter. I take $400 a tonne and I divide it by 0.9. So 0.9 is 90% expressed as a decimal. And that gives me a cost per tonne of $444 of dry matter. So $444 a tonne of dry matter. So this becomes really important to do this calculation when you're trying to directly compare the cost of feeds on a dry matter basis. So if I was to do this calculation with a loosened silage, so it's at $350 a tonne, it's at 45% dry matter, using that same equation, it works out to be $778 a tonne. So you can see the difference in actually the cost of the dry matter. But what this equation doesn't take into account is the cost per unit of nutrient. So that is a whole nother discussion point. And if you're interested in actually costing out, comparing different feeds on not just a dry matter basis, but an actual cost per nutrient basis, then I'd, I'd recommend getting some advice from your nutritionist on how to do that. Because it can be a really good way to figure out, is this the most economical way to get this nutrient to my herd is actually costing it out on a cost per unit of nutrient basis. So now for those of you that have tuned out for a minute, you can come back in because I'm going to talk about vendor declarations just quickly. So, you know, we all know about vendor declarations and why we need them. You know, it's required by law to have them for auditing purposes, but just be really careful to make sure that you actually are getting a vendor declaration when you get your orders of of fodder because sometimes they can be nowhere to be seen on a truckload of hay so just make sure when you're putting in that order that you say please have the vendor declaration on delivery another thing i'd be really cautious of is purchasing by the bale so bale weights even within the same product can vary considerably between 200 to 800 kilos so purchasing by the tonne with a dry matter value is always going to be your safest option. So Josie, when feed becomes limited, it can be an option to use byproducts. And But what do farmers need to consider if they're thinking of purchasing byproducts or going down that track? Yeah, good question, Neil. And byproducts might actually be another whole episode as there's actually quite a lot to unpack in this topic. So to do it justice, I might just do a quick summary today on some of the key things to think about. But basically, a lot of farmers we know already use them on a regular basis and it's built into their farm system. But when things start to become challenging is when we're implementing it for the first time. And this is where some of the maybe unforeseen challenges can become apparent. So there's kind of three main things to consider when we're thinking about utilizing byproducts. The first of that is they can be a potential source of contamination. There can be um, traces of chemicals or, you know, potential pathogens that can come into your, your system by utilizing byproducts. So that's something to be cautious of. Also, there can be some challenges around storage. Generally, byproducts can be higher in water, so they have a much lower dry matter. So that presents a series of challenges when it comes to actually storing it on farm because they can, you know, be prone to growing mold, prone to spoiling, 
and also they can attract vermin. So you've got to have a plan about how you're actually going to store it. And they can be very variable in actually their nutritional content um, it, between batches, between where how it's grown, how it's stored, how it's processed can really change the nutritional availability to your ruminants. So, you know, I'd apply the same level of caution when purchasing byproducts as you would any other feed. Purchase it with a feed test report from a reputable supplier so you know actually what you're getting. But Dairy Australia has some pretty good resources where you can help to make decisions around purchasing byproducts. They have a um, byproducts report, which is updated frequently, and it gives you a comparison table of all the nutrients that are in different byproducts, so you can directly compare them. Also, some information around their availability and the pricing of those byproducts. So a really handy tool if you're thinking about utilizing byproducts in your system. So Josie, we've mentioned a few times about getting in touch with Dairy Australia's regional teams. And so just to, to do that, um, you can find them online. Uh, Google is is your friend, of course. But the other way is to look inside the back cover of the Australian Dairy Farmer magazine. They're listed there in each edition so with contact details. So we'd encourage you to get in touch with, with uh, your regional team if um, if you'd like to get more information and find out what's available and happening in your region. Uh, we also recommend, you know, as we work through a, a season that could be a bit more challenging, stay in touch with, with the, the people that are going to help you work through this. And first up, the decision makers in your farm business, and often that's family, of course, but uh, your team as well. So most farms have a wider team. You've got uh, people in, uh, working for you. You've got your staff. You've probably got regular advisors as well. Some people use consultants, nutritionists, agronomists, um, but I think everybody's got bankers and lenders that they work with, so keeping them informed about what you're up to and how the season's playing out for you can be uh, can be very important. But also keep in touch with your neighbours and your friends. Um, this is where we see farmers sharing ideas and, uh, and and catching up with things that are going on, but also talking about the other stuff that's not farm-related, which can be really important, and, and staying involved with regular groups and activities, whether, whether that's farming groups, discussion groups, or non-farming related things that you're, you're involved with, like um, stay in touch with those and keep it up. That can be really important. Yeah, those are all really good points, Neil. And also just keep an eye out for further resources that Dairy Australia and our regional teams are going to be um, putting out through their um, channels. As the season unfolds, we'll have further information, you know, insights available, including some follow-up podcasts on some various topics. So stay in touch with our extension staff and your regional teams to see what's happening in your local area. Also in the podcast notes for today's episode are going to be the links for all the resources and tools that we've talked about in today's episode. So thanks everyone for listening and thanks Neil for joining me. If you'd like to find out more, visit the Issues and Emergencies section of the Dairy Australia website where you can find a section on drought support. We have also placed this and other useful links in the episode notes. We hope you have enjoyed this Dairy Pod episode. If you have any questions or ideas for the program, you can get in contact with us by emailing dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thank you for listening.